I do want to welcome you to Crosspoint, where we are celebrating the joyous arrival of the King. Our focus this Christmas season, well, it's on a manger. An odd place for a king to be placed. Last week, if you were here, I talked about Mary, quite the remarkable young lady who had great faith in her heavenly father. This morning, we're going to take a closer look at Joseph. You see, God chose two teenagers, Mary and Joseph. Mary, probably about 14. Joseph, a little bit older, if tradition plays out. But God chose these two people to rear his son, God in the flesh. (laughs) If you really think through that, it almost floors you. Really? This is your plan? Well, let me just share a story, a story that's totally made up, but it might help us understand the Christmas story better. Sharon, my wife and I, well, we find a baby boy. (laughs) It was shipped to us from a distant planet, complete with instructions. The boy... I'm reading, should live a normal life, developing and looking like every other human being, just won't be like every other human being. Uh, Rick and Sharon, your assignment is to find this boy a home, a good home. You're a little bit on the older side. You lack a little energy. And we really want the perfect couple to rear this little guy. So Sharon and I, we take the task seriously. And we begin to run ads and do interviews. Parents, well, they have to be the perfect age. And they have to be wise beyond their years and have the right temperaments and great jobs. They must be a lot of fun. They have to be educated, right? They have to live in the right community. They need to be financially secure with no dark sides. But mostly, I want them to love God and love others well. If this were true, you you stop. How could Sharon and I ever do this well? Who could we choose? They're so young. Things can change so fast. What? This was a crazy assignment, but we weren't given the assignment. God. God knew, and God chose perfectly. God's redemptive plan, it did not make sense. If you look at it, it feels like certainly the wrong couple and the wrong environment. But God's choices are perfect. God chose Mary and Joseph. And last week, like I said, we, we chanted a little bit about Mary. And we don't know a whole lot. 
But you know what's a little scary is that we know a whole lot less about Joseph. But let's look at some verses together and learn just how special Joseph really was. But first, let's pray. Father, we're going to open your word and we ask you that you would teach us today. You do love us. You are amazing, God. You knew we chose to, well, run from you a long time ago. But you desire a relationship with us. And in your good timing, in your perfect plan, you chose Mary and Joseph. You sent your son to them to eventually someday die on a cross and pay the debt for our sin, my sin, the world's sin, so that we might be redeemed or we might be restored or we might have a relationship with you just like you want it. So, Father, today, as we look at your word and open your word, teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would, would you turn your Bibles or your flat screens to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 18. If you don't have any Bibles, you can look up at the screen But we'll begin. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look! The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. After reading this text, there are three qualities that just kind of jump out at me. But I do want to at least make a little comment on the artwork. You know, one of the things at least I try to do is not um, diminish from the message. In trying to find uh, what I would imagine a Mary who is quite young and a Joseph who is also young, just about every picture of Mary and Joseph, they're, they're old and mature and wonderful. But I just don't think it's accurate. So I'm going to go to the star. And to me, as you look at this artwork, you will see a young Mary and a young Joseph. But these three qualities jump out at me about Joseph. First of all, Joseph was righteous. He was righteous. He had a relationship with God. 
He was a young man who, well, probably again living in this small town, preparing for a wife, doing all the things that young men do before they get married. We find out, though, that Joseph was righteous. This is an Old Testament term that just means he was a saint. He was a God-fearer. He was somebody that, well, walked with God. He knew God. He had a relationship with God. And that was a pretty big deal to be able to raise God's son. The second thing we see is that Joseph was loving. He treated Mary with dignity. Just in these few verses, again, not totally understanding all the culture, but to just remind you that normally someone would be betrothed. It usually happens around 13 or 14. And parents would arrange a marriage. And then so many of you know this, but for one year then, well, the woman would do the best she could to be able to learn all that she needed to do in order to run a household. Now, it had been modeled for years, but this was a crash course, shall we say. And the male, the man, would, would be able to prepare the home and make the finishing touches and, and get ready to welcome his bride into this wonderful relationship. Well, after Mary was betrothed, in that day was just about considered marriage. And after this time, when Mary was told by an angel that, that she would conceive and, and she would be pregnant, and, and she told this story to Joseph. Joseph didn't get the visit by the angel yet. And Joseph loved Mary, but he could not figure this one out. And so what he chose to do, instead of making a spectacle, instead of of dishonoring her, instead of, well, letting everybody know it wasn't him, he was going to quietly divorce her. Quietly divorce say, you know what, this marriage probably isn't going to work out. But what he did, as soon as that angel talked to him, he married her. He recognized, he he understood, this is something special. I don't get all of it. But he married her and protected her. Because again, talk happens, especially in a small town. And they embraced the challenges together. He did exactly what God had asked him to do. The last thing that jumps out to me about Joseph is that he was obedient. He literally, when God said something, he listened and obeyed. And most of us again, oh Rick, that's not such a big deal. I I think it is a big deal. This love letter that God sent to us is filled with so many beautiful things, exhortations, to help you and to help me live while lives that are abundant and full. But we resist. There's times we think we know more than God. 
And as a result, we go our own way. We do our own thing, expecting, well, to be satisfied in full. When God said, no, you don't get it. I created you. I created life. If you listen to me, if you're obedient to me, oh, you will live. You'll live now, and you'll live for eternity. Joseph was obedient, and he was willing to take on the challenges. There's always challenges to a new marriage, right? I mean, sometimes the honeymoon lasts, well, hopefully six months or a year, you know. But there's a reality that eventually, well, comes into play. And having the added pressure of a baby right away, and the added pressure of, well, the baby being the son of God right away. All this had to overwhelm at times. But he took the challenges. He recognized there would be a poor reputation. He recognized that there would be scorn, in fact, by some. And he recognized that rearing the son of God was an amazing privilege. But it had to be scary. Even holding Jesus for the very first time. How do we do this, God? How am I going to honor you by raising your son? Joseph was willing to take the trip to Bethlehem. Many of you do know the story. He had to go back to Bethlehem and... and, basically didn't have a lot of plans, as you know. He didn't have a lot of money at that time. He had no reservations. It was a longer trip, and and Mary was just about to give birth. She's pregnant, a pregnant wife. And then a new baby? Okay, God, I'm willing. I said yes, but you've got to guide me. You've got to help me figure this out. He was willing to embrace all of his role. Look at Luke chapter 2. Just take you a moment. It's a a few books over from where you were. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Eight days later... Eight days after Jesus was born, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Mary and Joseph, obedient new parents, knew what the next stage was for a male baby, especially the firstborn. But back in Genesis, a long, long time ago, the father of the Jews, the first Jew, it stars all. We find his story in Genesis. And his name was Abraham, or we know him by Abraham, all right? And Abraham was, well, he was given a message by God. And he said, Abraham, I want to make you a great nation. 
And I want you to be able to listen to me. And I want you literally be the light of all the world and show people how to connect with God. That's your purpose as a Jew. And Abraham said, I'm in. Let's do this. And he said, okay, the sign for this, the promise, the covenant, would be circumcision. Circumcision. Wow, God made a covenant. And the agreement was all males will be circumcised from that time on. Now, maybe you've heard of Brit Malah. Brit Malah is a well, it's the Jewish custom. It's the party that the family throws literally when their boy gets circumcised. I thought I'd show you a clip, not of the circumcision. Okay. Maybe I won't. When a Jewish baby boy is born, he is initiated into the community through a long, long, long practice tradition known as Brit Milah, or Bris, which represents the babies and the Jewish people's covenant with God. The central act of the ceremony is circumcision. In addition to the ritual act, a newborn ceremony includes some blessings, the formal baby naming, and, you guessed it, a festive meal. This is an ideal time for parents to share with their community the values with which they intend to raise their child. One modern custom is for the parents to read a letter to the child out loud in front of the guests. From the moment Joseph found out he was going to be dad to a son, thoughts of eight days after the birth probably started forming in his mind. Almost all Jewish men in Joseph's day would have known the significance of the ceremony and felt honored to be part of this covenant. Circumcision was the official act that God used to seal the covenant with God. The significance of this covenant happened on the eighth day of new life. And actually, the eighth day of new life is also significant. You see, the Hebrews believed that God worked six days toward the completion of his creation. On the seventh day, God rested. A new week or cycle of life began on the eighth day, a day set apart for enjoyment and for glory of God. Every circumcised Hebrew since Abraham came to understand the significance of what happened eight days after birth, the day the covenant of God was renewed. Now, the next verse, you have your Bibles there already in Luke chapter 2. I'd like to read the next three verses. Luke chapter 2, verses 22, 23, and 24. It's only three verses, but these verses are jam-packed. So let me read it. Then it came time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents, Mary and Joseph, took him to Jerusalem to present him, or Jesus, to the Lord. 
The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Most of this, again, seems so foreign to us. But again, back then, a a good Hebrew couple, um, 33 days after the circumcision, would begin their purification offerings. So this new family literally makes a six-mile trip just about a month after Jesus was born. And when they would arrive at the temple, a woman then who just gave birth would start the purification offerings. Now again, this is going to sound a little odd, but it's all recorded back in Leviticus. But but let's just give you a bird's eye view. They would offer two sacrifices. The first one was a burnt offering. The second one was a sin offering. This happened every time a woman gave birth. The purpose of the burnt offering was a general atonement for sin, an expression of devotion to God. Usually, at this time, there would be a sacrifice of a year-old lamb. The sin offering is sometimes seen as an offering for the atonement of unintentional sin. Well, sins that you didn't even know you committed. Usually the blood of a dove or a pigeon was required. Now the big deal was back then is once these sacrifices were offered, this woman or this couple could again go into the temple together, which is a big deal. They could enjoy fellowship. They could enjoy worship. They could praise God again. For this limited time, well, they were ostracized. And I know if some of you just heard this, maybe even for the very first time, it seems a little archaic and maybe even barbaric, but it's critical to understand this story. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament was a means of grace by which a relationship with God and man, well, could be restored. Ultimately, especially in the book of Hebrews, it tells us the sacrificial system was inadequate. Nobody could eventually repay perfectly. That was until Christ came, the babe lying in a manger, the perfect one who lived a sinless life, who eventually at about 33 years old, well, spread his arms and died on the cross for all of mankind's sin. And the scriptures tell us that once he died, once the perfect sacrifice died, there was no need for more blood of lambs and goats and pigeons. Well, after a woman's purification was done, the couple then would dedicate their firstborn they would walk into the temple together and they would, well, recognize that this new little boy is God's. Everything is God's. But, but back in Exodus, again, God made it really clear. All males, all firstborn males, they 
are gods. They're gods. They belong to God. Now, they didn't belong to God like you had to go into the temple and you had to live there for the rest of your life and so on. But the truth was is that that was a little bit of a child dedication. It was reminding everybody around once again that this was an amazing gift from God. At this time, although it's not in our text, there was usually a five-shekel temple tax. Now, it normally happened, okay? And we're assuming because Joseph and Mary well, they obeyed all of the laws that they paid it. So they brought this baby, Jesus. They paid the five-shekel temple tax. And now it was time for Jesus to be dedicated. Oh, can you imagine walking in the temple, just holding this beautiful little boy? Well, look in your scriptures we're going to start reading at verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. This is an amazing story of an older man. A man, the scriptures tell us again, was righteous and devout. He loved God and listened to God. And because he understood the scriptures, he was looking forward to the Messiah, the Savior, the person that would, will make all things right. Again, the Jews were a little confused, thinking that this might be a political king. But no, it was a king that was going to come and well, take us away from the pressure and the power and the authority of sin, which brings death to every one of us. And so the scriptures tell us that he has been looking for the Messiah. 
but that God had revealed something to him and, and basically really just said, hey, you're going to see the Savior. You're going to see the Messiah someday. And could you imagine maybe Simeon, like I said, he was older. We, we don't know how often, but maybe he'd get up and, Lord, is today the day? Will I see the Messiah today, Father? Uh, he didn't show up. And, and maybe the next day, uh, Lord, Lord, will, will I see the Messiah? Will I see the Messiah? Well, the Scriptures tell us at the right time, the Spirit prompted him. And can you see Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus in to be dedicated? And honestly, I don't know what happened. But I know this, Simeon knew I don't know if he ran. I don't know if he started to cry. I, I don't know any of those emotions. But he went over and he took Jesus in his arms. And he spoke some amazing prophecies. Prophecies, well, that Mary and Joseph had already heard. But, but so grateful, holding this baby, I now have seen your salvation, Father. Your faithfulness once again is here. He will be the light to light up it all. Not everyone will receive him. We know that. But he is the light. You know, we've been focusing on Joseph. And there's quite a few other places. But like I said, not a whole lot of information about Joseph. But we do know that Joseph really did listen. And he continued to listen. And he was an amazing young dad. The first listening marker, of course, was take Mary as your wife. And he did that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. A little later in Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 13, God revealed himself to Joseph again and said, hey, there's going to be some issues. Herod is going to try to kill all the babies. I want you to flee to Egypt. That night, Joseph left. He had learned to listen to God. After Herod had died, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, God says, hey, go back to Israel. And that very day, Joseph left. A fourth time, in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41. Now again, we don't know a whole lot about even Joseph and Mary for these first few years. But in, in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41, it says, Luke the doctor writes, his parents, Mary and Joseph, did Passover every year. So they took a trip to Jerusalem. But when Jesus was 12, so at least we know they were obedient and, and listening to God for those first 12 years of his life. And we know they obeyed further, but but at least there's some documentation. And so all the things that were going on, the one thing we do know is Joseph listened, Joseph listened, Joseph listened. And I got to believe that's a big deal why Joseph was chosen. As you look in the scriptures, there's not a whole lot about Mary after this. We know she was around when Christ was crucified. But there's no mention of Joseph. No mention. Most scholars believe 
he passed somewhere between 12 years old and when Christ was crucified. We do know this, is that Joseph and Mary's obedience to the law of God shines forth throughout the whole narrative of Christ's birth. Staying married, giving Jesus the name Jesus in obedience with the angel's command, presenting Jesus in the temple, paying the fee required for a firstborn son, and Mary's scrupulous observation of the law of purification demonstrate that they were dedicated to listen to everything God said. In Luke chapter 2, verse 39, the scriptures say this. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. All of them. They were dedicated to listen to God and to be obedient in every area so that they would do well as parents. You know, we know that Jesus brought great joy He was Messiah. He was Savior. He was Lord. We know that Joseph had to have experienced God's supernatural joy just holding the baby for the very first time. It started when he held him and laid him in a manger. May the joy of the Advent be yours this Christmas, just as it was for Joseph over 2,000 Christmases ago. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. One of the most famous of all the verses in the Scripture is a verse found in John where you shared with us that you loved the world in spite of our rebellion. And because you loved the world, you sent Jesus to an amazing young couple who had the reputation of listening to you well. Lord, there's so many, so many things that are swirling in my mind so grateful, so overwhelmed, so thankful for a Savior. We love your plan. We don't get it. But God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for starting it off in a manger. We love you in Jesus' name.